Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with me, Dr. Aparajitha Jirigunta. And I'm so excited for my guest today because she is not only an awesome person, uh, she's also a fellow NLC family member from the same cohort as me, although a different chapter. And I'm just super excited to dig into so many things with her because just like me, she has 89 different projects going on. And if they get down to 88, it's like a big deal. So without further ado, I want to read, you know, introduce you to to NLC alum Brianna Jenkins and read her bio. Recently given the title, The Love Child of Oprah, Beyonce, and Michelle Obama, Brianna Jenkins is a public speaker, activist for the LGBTQIA female and people of color communities, and has years of experience using her platform to evoke change. Originally from Hamden, Connecticut, Brie grew up very involved in extracurricular activities, in particular volleyball and student government, which is how she first first learned of her leadership skills. She attended Albertus Magnus College, a small liberal arts college rich in the Dominican tradition, which is where she completed her undergrad as a sociology major with a concentration in social work. From 2012 until now, Brie has been working at nonprofit organizations where she has been able to work with a wide variety of individuals, including adults and children, with developmental disabilities, single adults and families experiencing homelessness, and now working in development at an organization that serves LGBTQIA plus youth and young adults. When not at work, Brie is very involved in the Austin community. She recently completed New Leaders Council six-month institute and signed on to be the co-director of the Austin Chapters Board. She has served on the boards of Keep Austin Fed and Austin Black Pride. You can also find her on panels all around town or guest hosting on podcasts. Brie is also the co-host of a podcast called Queer For It and is starting a new solo podcast called The Tea With Brie. Man, after such an incredible introduction, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce this awesome guest speaker with absolute pleasure. Welcome to the show, Brie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And yes, I'm so excited too. And you know, I got to start with this. Recently given the title, The Love Child of Oprah, Beyonce, and Michelle Obama. Yeah. Pressure, right? So much pressure. Um, Yeah, one of my NLC sisters, uh, Ashley, who hosts another podcast here in town, um, we were on, I guest started her podcast one day. And for a long time, I was like, Oprah and Beyonce are it, and then I got really involved in politics, like, what about Michelle? And so she started calling me (laughs) the love child of Oprah, Beyonce, and Michelle Obama. To be fair, I do a lot of speaking engagements like Oprah, I sing karaoke like Beyonce, and I try to change the world like Michelle, so here we are. (laughs) Awesome. And I'm totally down with that, because those are three of my personal heroes. Oh, I know, I love them so much. We don't deserve them, but I would totally take a world where they are in it, like... (laughs) It's so funny that you just said that because so I'm like obsessed with Michelle Obama on Instagram and um, she just posted uh, her anniversary pictures, right, of 27 years and I was like partly in tears and I was telling my writers group and like pretty much everyone I talked to today about just how much the world is a better place with the Obama family in it. I had just sent it to my boyfriend because I always joke that he he has the honor of being my Barack. And so, yeah, and so I was like, I sent him like, oh, look at this. He's like, I can't with you. So I'm like, they are perfect. How dare you? 
I love that. I do too. I do too. I like. I feel like we could have like a whole fangirl episode. Yes, we'll have to because I could talk for hours about Michelle Obama. Yes, well. yes. I could. I could. I could literally talk for hours and hours about both of them. How the you know all of it. Just oh my gosh, this is this episode is already derailing. <laughs> It's fine. It's good. Conversation. Yes. So tell me for people, you know, for our listeners and especially for, you know, our young listeners who might have heard this bio and they might go, wow, okay, so how do I become that involved? Yeah. Where would people start? Sure. Um, So with me, it was kind of growing up in the spotlight, if you will. I come from a family that's really like grew up in a church. My um, Godfather's a pastor, so I grew up kind of on the stage of, like, singing, and then that led me to, like, theater, and, like, I was never allowed to be shy, so my friends jokingly call me an extra extrovert, like, I'll talk to strangers about anything for hours, um, a friend of mine hates going to the grocery store with me, because I will bump into strangers and just, like, talk about anything, um, so I think the first thing with me is, like, I moved to Austin, I moved here, I came out, I started really figuring out, like, what's going on in the city, um, and started making connections with people and just hearing what was going on, um, so for me, it was just, like, learning that it is totally acceptable for you to not only take up space, but allow yourself to know that you are allowed to take up space, um, I think a lot of women and people of color and minority groups just in general, I think it's this new kind of wave that we're on of, like, the default shouldn't just be one thing. Like, we should all know that we have every right to be here. So with me, I came to Austin and kind of made Austin mine. I molded it into what I wanted it to be for me. Um, So that started with, like, the job I was in, meeting people at different events. Um, And then actually a friend of mine got me into NLC, which I'm sure I'll talk about later. Um, But, yeah, just kind of going out into your community and knowing that you have every right to be there and to make it the space that you want to make it. Um, and know that this this world is yours and no one can stop you as long as you kind of believe in what you're doing. Yeah. Nice. And it's so funny that you say that about Austin and you also say that about, you know, it's okay to take up your space because I literally had two unrelated clients today and that was like, and, it, and they were 60 minute sessions. So for a straight 120 minutes, that's what I was talking about. That's what I was coaching wow. them on. Wow. Uh, and, and they were both from the Midwest with this mentality of, oh gosh, I'm taking so much space where they actually sort of felt bad for it. And granted, like I live in the Midwest now, but I'm sitting here going, wait, why are you feeling bad right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And we're taught from a very young, I was actually having a conversation with friends last week of like when we were growing up in that like late nineties era of like girls were still expected to be like her dad was like your job as a girl is to be sweet like (laughs) you're supposed to be like very submissive and like so like now we're in this new renaissance of like it is okay to like be bold and be brash and be brave and kind of you know that let people know that it is not okay for them to like talk over you or belittle you or make you feel like you don't belong here so I think this whole like taking up space idea is so new still um, I think it's like the second, the second coming of like feminism and everything else that's going on in the world. Just being like, hey, you can totally do this, and you know, making it 
as inclusive as possible. I think that's also a really big thing going on right now. It's like we are giving space to so many different people that I think it's just really causing everyone else to take a really hard look in the mirror. Absolutely. And, you know, one other thing that I want to touch on, which we'll, you know, we'll touch on in the next segment, but I just wanted to bring it up is the interesting aspect of my conversations today is both my clients today were women of color. Uh, feeling like they were imposing when they just owned their own space and voice without actually taking up anybody else's space. You know, we're definitely going to come back to that. But how did, you know, your NLC experience fit into your entire story arc? And how did it help you develop your interests, your voice and your power? Sure. Um, so with me having a background in social work, I've been able to do a lot of different jobs, um, Mm. originally starting with, you know, becoming a sociology major, which was me switching from a business major because I hated accounting, um, to having a really important professor who we have to take sociology as a prerequisite at my college. And so this professor was just really engaged and she made learning really fun. And so that's how she kind of got me into sociology and then to social work. Um, I then had a full year internship, which we're only required to take half a year, but I had such a good internship, I just stayed for the whole year. Um, And so with that internship, I was working with low income families, specifically their children. Um, So then like that started my whole trajectory working at nonprofits. Um, And then the first nonprofit that I worked, no, that's a lie. The first nonprofit that I worked at helping uh, families and individuals experiencing homelessness, I started doing fundraising there um, because I can't sit still and keep quiet. So I get well and told about a lot of things that I'm gonna kinda do then. Um, so we had a annual walk to end homelessness. And so we would have like different organizations come and like do tabling at this event. And then we had other companies in town, like restaurants and what have you, donate things for our silent auction so it's like when I first started talking to like different companies and different organizations and be like do you want to participate do you want to donate how can get you involved um and then when I moved to Austin I did um more of that um work with uh individuals who were, were living in um, affordable housing and then now I'm, I've been at my job serving LGBT youth as a development coordinator which means I do the fundraising the community engagement, volunteer engagement, all the outward-facing stuff, um, which then led me to meet my friend Alicia, who nominated me for NLC, and that's how I first heard about NLC last year and applied, and then I got into the cohort for 2019, and uh, now here we are. I mean, this year I was able to make my capstone, which is a project we have to do during Institute, was our fundraiser. And so our goal was 20000 for the fundraiser. We ended up raising twenty two by the fundraiser date. And then by the end of the cohort year, so by June, July, we ended up raising $26,000. Um, so just being like really being able to use my fundraising skills, teaching other people in NLC how to fundraise. A lot of people are still like awkward about asking for money. And I'm like, well, the worst they can say is no. But a lot of the people you're going to ask are going to want to support you because they see that you're passionate about this thing that you're involved in. Um, and people want to help. I'm a big believer in people want to help. They just might not know how. 
Um, and so I just think like bringing things to people's attention and having conversation and giving them the opportunity to be like, hey, this is what I'm into. Here's some information. If you feel so compelled to donate, great. If not, here's some more information. I just thank you for taking the time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I've, I've been able to work and then I'll see and do the fundraising part for this year. And then one of our co-directors, uh, steps down this year and I originally applied to be the fundraising co-chair and then no one else applied to be the co-director. And so the co-director Kelsey was like, Hey, so do you want to just apply to be co-director with me? (laughs) And so, um, I can't say no to things. It's one of my downfalls. Um, so I said, yeah, and I've been the co-director since about July, and it's been great. I've loved it. I've loved NLC and the people I've gotten to meet. This year we had 18 people in our cohort, I want to say. No, 19. Nice. We had 19, and only one guy <laughs> named Daniel, and uh, having that energy was so riveting of just having – essentially a female only space and for even Daniel to come over like to us and say during like open discussion of like to be in a female only space has been one of the most empowering things to him just to see like how conversations are a lot different or how we like listen and how we just communicate differently when it's just one you know group of people together um but yeah just like getting me to meet like lawyers and people who work for the city and work in politics and just meeting so many different people and literally after that first um, that first day together, if not by the end of the first weekend, we were just like family. Like it's so instant and you're being really vulnerable and having honest, hard conversations that first weekend of Institute that it's life changing. And that like now all of us like still have like our own um, 2019 cohort class Facebook group and we keep in touch and we go to brunch together and we have one girl having a baby shower that we're all going to. So yeah, it's just been like legitimately over the last like 11 months just becoming this really powerful family oh wow that like that resonates with me so much um because we have our own cohort group me (laughs) i got i got got in trouble too because i was like oh i asked like so on the board it's myself and three other girls who did felt who did the cohort with me and so we had a meeting i was like oh is everyone going to brunch on sunday and they were like what brunch like nlc brunch and Tara reached, like, leans in, she goes, that's just for our class. I was like, oh, so sorry! Like, I thought we had invited everyone, but it was just, like, our class getting get together for, for brunch. And I was like, we can have, like, a board brunch. I was like, no, it's fine! I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, but... Yeah, it's, it's like you say, it's just it's just different. You're you're like hunkered down. It's like having seventeen new siblings you didn't know were out there. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you were at convention, right? I was. Yeah, I had it's been a whirlwind of an NLC year for me. Yeah, I went to convention and I loved Des Moines. Like I loved it more than I thought it would. I'm like, what's in the right? Midwest for me, people, or whatever, or whatever's out there. But it was like so nice and just nice to get out of the city like Austin's really packed not like New York packed but like enough people that you like you noticed and like Des Moines was just so calm and chill and I always say like I'm gonna retire at 40 to a really small <laughs> town <laughs> yeah and uh, just live out my days and like knowing my neighbors and just living yeah so Des Moines was like really like that taste of like getting out of the city enjoying some fresh air it was so much cooler there and yeah it had so much fun I loved it it was so nice to like meet so many people from the different chapters and um we had 
the second morning we had a co-director breakfast uh and it was like it was it was so it was so beautiful to see so many different people and how diverse all of our cohorts are like it was just a sea of like different colors and shapes and you know gender identities it was just like it was I had never been in a group like that and like walking in and not feeling like I never feel awkward but like yeah. you know like that little like hesitation of like can I say what I need to say to how how upfront and blunt are we going to be yeah. like it was per- perfect like I I couldn't have asked for a more amazing weekend. And it's so interesting that you bring that up. I mean, first of all, I remember that because I came down and people were scurrying all over the place. So I was like, all right. I went back up to my room and I took a nap because I'm like, everyone's busy. So, and I don't know what's going on. So I'm just going to take a nap. But the second uh, point, like the more important, like less silly point is NLC really did create this space where I did not have to question the safety of being able to voice what I needed to. Absolutely. And there is so much to be said about that. But that is also an incredible segue into the state of diversity and inclusion and everything I want to ask you in the next segment, including what I brought up earlier about the women of color. So we're going to take a short break and we will be right back with Brianna Jenkins to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, empowerment, and making the invisible visible. We'll be right back after the short break. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, making the invisible visible with our guest speaker for today, Brianna Jenkins from NLC Austin, where she is now a co-director and she's involved in like 8,000 projects. So what I want to talk about is, you know, first thing is going back to what I said earlier about I had two conversations today with two women of color who felt bad about or who felt uncomfortable taking up their own space without imposing on anybody else's space. And given your experience in a multitude of community projects, I wanted to get your take on what you feel like is happening with inclusion in this context? Yeah, I think with how much our country has been changing the last three, if not longer, maybe like five years, um, I think the the landscape of who we are as people has really changed. Um, I went to an event this morning and Janet Mock was there and she spoke. And she was just talking about how, like, in the last five years, how much her life has changed of being, like, at the time where she first came out and was doing all the stuff and her first book came out in 2014, how at that point we were, like, but it was before the show Transparency and it was before, like, Pose, which is the show she produces. Um, The only really, like, trans person in the media, quote-unquote, was Chaz Bono. Chaz Bono. And so just really, like, how much... And if you think about that, like, that's so incredibly mind-blowing to think about. Of Like, that was only five years ago. And how much that has changed since then. Of Like, now there's so many people of the trans identity who are, like, in the public eye and doing all these things. And I think that's been a real catalyst last five years from that. And then also, like, with our current president of just being very much, like, we have all learned to kind of step up because we know 
we just never know who's going to be on the chopping block, apparently. And we know we're more powerful together. And we know we need to have these tough conversations of, like, it's this week it's the Muslim ban, but then next week it could be um, the trans military ban. Or it can be, you know, or um, now with all the stuff with ICE and what have you. It's like all of these different marginalized groups know what it's like to be attacked which it's sad that it took us to get there to like know what it really means to come together but also it's like now that we know that we can come together I feel like with this next whatever the election you know whatever happens next year um I think us as a country have really learned to grow and in turn it's kind of like trickle down because now you know in these small community pockets it's like hey we have to have the work on the ground on the on the ground level like we have to know how much voting in local elections count and state elections i think a lot more people are paying attention now and learning that they have every right to run for office be involved in their in their communities and so you know again sad that this had to happen but also really empowering to see how these people are now learning how to take a space it's so interesting that you say that because so when i interviewed for nlc when they asked me about sort of my politics or my political inclinations in the interview i said i would not take office even if i was written in from there to today as as you know like you know we've both been through this for nine months and I had a state representative tell me a couple of weeks ago that she picked her successor and that was me and um she's gonna groom me whether I like it or not and I was like you know I can't say that I like it but I see your point yeah but it's also this thing of like how much people see in you that you don't even notice yeah and I think it's that thing of like doing so many projects like for me, like like I was saying, like you reading my bio makes me uncomfortable because I'm so humble. But I think it's also that thing, like as women and as people of minority, we're, we were taught for so long to like shrink ourselves. Mm. So like now that like, we're being told to like stand up tall and take space and know you're able to be here, I'm trying to get out of that because like all my friends would tell you, like I'm a big deflector. Like I do a lot of the stuff I do because I love it, not for the notoriety. Um, I do it because I feel empowered to do so, and I feel like the next generation deserves so much more. And I feel like a lot of people worked hard for me to be able to be for me to be able to be where I am. That I'm like kind of paying it for, which is why I went into nonprofit work. Um, but yeah, it's just been this really interesting thing of like learning to just like take a take a compliment one and know that the work that you are doing it is okay to take the notoriety, to take up the space, to get the accolades, and not feel like you have to shrink yourself or be smaller or like be more docile even um just to get the work done like things have just shifted so much i'm curious given what you just said how do you think that we as people of color how can we lean into this idea of authenticity and speaking our truth but not for notoriety but for better inclusion sure for me especially like working in our profit and knowing how important storytelling is and having that making like that heartstring pull if you will i have found that like with me doing my personal work it's because i'm willing to be very vulnerable i'm willing to be as raw and honest and just plain old like 
ugly if I have to, to just be like, if I can be where I am, so can you. And I think that's what's been so incredible, again, with this whole shift of like, the more vulnerable you are, and not like to the point of like sympathy, but to the point of just being like, you, you aren't the only one. And I think that's what's been so such a big connector for people is like a lot of people will see themselves in you. Like I have a friend in town who whenever um, they go and do speaking engagements, people will like ask them to like give like, what are your pronouns? And they're like, and they're like, well, my pronouns are my full name. Cause I want you to know who I am. I don't want you to like say my pronouns. I want you to know my name, which is one of the most empowering things I've ever heard. And she's incredible. Um, but it's this thing of like her knowing as a black woman in these spaces of like, no, you need to know who I am because I'm making such big change. Um, and that's her, her way of not little, uh, making herself smaller. Um, and so it's been really interesting seeing that because like with me, I am the one, I'm the like all my stuff says like queer black woman. And that's because I want to let people know that again, if I can be here and do the things that I'm doing, then you as a trans person or you as a non-binary person or you as an Asian person, like you have every right to be in the same quote unquote level that I am at. And you don't have to like belittle yourself or sell your soul or make your story this whole big sympathy thing of just being like, Hey, this is what I've gone through. And I want to share my story because I want us as a people to grow. And I think that's, what's been really beneficial to me. Like I want people to see my story and know that you can go out and do things. You can also come and talk to me about things like, I would go do speaking engagements. I just did a body positivity panel about a month ago. And two young women came and spoke to me. One actually happens to be from Connecticut, and we have a lot of mutual friends. So we spoke, and her friend was there. And so I get home, and I have, like, all these new Instagram followers and people, like, sending me messages from the event. And I'm like, you – they're like, you were great. I just didn't feel comfortable coming up by talking to you. I'm like, oh, no, like, I'm a normal person. (laughs) Like – I'm just, I'm just here in these spaces, but people find a lot of, they get awkward with someone who's been so vulnerable. They are like, well, I have nothing to like offer you. I'm like, no, just another conversation with you is all I really want. Like, you don't have to like be as vulnerable as I was, but like now that you kind of have the upper hand, like, you know, so much more about me, what are you willing to share and talk to me? And like, let's just, you know, grow. And so like a couple girls from that and I have like gotten coffee and become friends, but they were like, when I first met you, I was so intimidated by you. Not that you're intimidating, but I was intimidated by you because you were so whole and large and accepting of who you were that I wasn't there yet. And that made them so like, get like literally audibly gasped, but just like so nervous to come and come and talk to someone. So I think that's also been a big thing for me too. Is like these people who tell me like, I'm just not sure I am where you are. And that can be really not shrinking, but very like a cause for concern for people. Um, so yeah, for me, it's just been that, that whole space of like, what are you willing to share about yourself to kind of get people in to talk to you and help you grow? I love that you brought in the notoriety aspects and sort of the perception, you know, the, all of the social perceptions aspect of it, because when I started doing what I was doing and, you know, like I, first of all, I, could not believe that they accepted my spark talk considering I hadn't even officially graduated when they did. Oh yeah. You know? And so it was like, whoa. But then, uh, so the interesting thing that happened in my case was the reason I started doing all of this work is uh, one of my 
dear, dear friends from high school who is a psychiatrist and, and who knows my history and all of that literally told me, you know, the ones, you know, there, there are people who have the experience and they don't have the voice anymore. And then there are those who have their voice, but they don't actually have the experience. You actually have both. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, and when I started talking about it to this day, I get probably like one or two messages a week from like random people talking about how I'm using my brain injury to gain popularity. And I'm like, huh, what is going on in your mind that you think that somebody needs to get their skull bashed in in order to be popular? Yeah. That somebody needs to die in order to be popular. You know, and if that's where you think I'm coming from, how could I possibly reach out to you and and yeah. make sense to you? So for me, that was like the whole part of, you know, making the invisible visible. And so what you said about just being vulnerable and saying this is th- this this is who I am and this is where I am. Take it or leave it. I'm yeah. still just human. You know, like that, that really resonated with me. And I feel like that also ties into these podcasts you have going on right now and everything in the future. So we're going to take a very short break. I have so many more questions about the DNI front, but yeah, I'm going to bring you back for that. <laughs> so we're going to take a very short break and we're going to come back with our next segment. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short musical break. And we're back on Leg Up Board Inclusion Spotlight, making the invisible visible with our guest speaker, Brianna Jenkins. And Brie, I got to be honest, like for the last 10 minutes or so, I forgot we were recording. Oh, that's so nice. I love that. That's like my favorite thing when people are like, I just want to like hang out and talk to you. I'm like, yes, please. Talk to me about everything. Let's hang out. <laughs> so Brie, tell me with everything you have going on, your 8,000 projects and your future interests, what is Brianna Jenkins' priority? Um, my priority currently, um, there's something I read maybe like a month ago that was like, in this life, I'm just trying to do as least amount of damage as possible. <laughs> um, and that like really resonated with me. Um, I recently got in an argument with a friend. We're like trying to work things out. Um, but like the backlash from like all that with that person I really learned that like hurt the quote that hurt people hurt people was so big because um, it's just like we haven't had a chance to like communicate and it's been like really weird and so with me I'm just like how can I just be better than I was yesterday how can I make this world better like how what can I do as a person just one person who's only in control of herself do and uh, yeah it's been it's been really interesting to like work through that and yeah, I, I don't even know. I think that's probably the, the biggest thing for me is like right now I'm just trying to be the best version of myself and help make this world better too. We'll talk offline about what you <laughs> just said <laughs> because uh, that's actually like one of my marketing taglines about what are the things I'm doing. We have been on like so many <laughs> points today. I can't even deal. How does being this best version of yourself and just being yourself and being authentic and all of that relate to 
this podcast that you co-host and also this uh-huh. podcast that's coming up, The Tea with Bree, that you said is yeah. going to launch in January? Yes. Um, so with the current podcast, Queer For It, it's me and three friends. And it's myself, my friend Chris, who is a trans man, his twin sister, who's a lesbian, and then our friend Christina, who is also queer. And it's so it's just been us like having different conversations about different topics, um, and then also like Chris and Courtney have a really big Instagram following, so we've been like giving that advice. Um, I just I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to no, say there's four Chris's in there. Three, two. There's boy Chris and girl Chris and Chris's twin sister Courtney. Oh, okay. I was like, that's a lot because as you were describing them, I'm like, why didn't they just call this Chris? I know. Listen, they ha- so it's funny because like if Courtney and I like get up and like go like do the like to the bathroom or get water, the two Chris's will have like we'll take a brief break and hear from the Chris's, and so it's like this little like Easter egg was really funny <laughs> during our podcast recording of like I'll listen to them like those two because we don't know to like we listen to it that they've done it. Yeah, and so it's like really funny to be like these two. Um, so yeah, that's that's the podcast of us, you know, kind of catching up on our lives in the beginning having a breakdown conversation of one specific topic. So we've talked about um, our coming out stories and how we met. And we talked about um, the policing of female bodies in sports. We've talked mm. about our love languages. Mm. So just like having an open, honest conversation with each other and looking at all this through a queer lens. And then we also, like I said, take advice. We take questions from our listeners and give them advice. We have a lot of listeners who either live in countries or places where it's not okay to be out, or we have people who live in places where it is, but they don't have a, a community around them. So, like, we're, like, their only friends they get to hear from, which is really sweet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's been really, really beautiful. And then with the tea with Brie, I've, again, Oprah's probably my idol, and I've always been obsessed with, like, talking to people and, like, interviewing them, but in a very, like, comfortable space. And so just having honest and open conversation and just being really raw about it and so the tea with Brie is just like it's like honest says like open honest conversation about different topics with different people um and so the whole premise of this is to talk about any topic my guest wants to talk about because I feel like a lot of the time with my big personality I can take up a lot of space and it can be kind of hard to get in there with me um so I've invited people in to pick the topic they want to talk about with me and we will talk about it together and just be, you know, do a little brief introduction of them in the beginning, kind of giving some background and then we'll go into this conversation of just like what, whatever it is they want to talk about. So my friend Noah is trans and non-binary. So we're talking about the intersectionality of being in the queer community on our episode. Um, My friend Brittany is going to come on and we're going to talk about, um, reality tv we're both obsessed with it but it's also yeah i know and it's like the early like 2000 ish kind of oh so it's the table flipping kind yeah it's real housewives and laguna beach and real world we're also talking about how like reality tv for people of color looks so much different than reality tv for people who are not Mm -hmm. of color um like for example like a lot of like like love and hip-hop and um some Real Housewives of, like, the other, like, the Atlanta and Potomac and that can be very, like, divisive because the women on TV are perpetuated in this really 
specific light that we don't both like that the way it looks mm. so we're talking about that um one of my friends in town her name is shelby she's in a, a blogger here she has a really big instagram following mm. and so she recently had a breakup and so she, we were talking about um how social media has really become this thing of like people think they automatically get invited to critique your life mm. so we're talking about that um, so yeah, just having all these different conversations with people who otherwise I don't think would have that sense of like a platform and invitation to talk about these things with. Nice. So, yeah. I'd like to add yeah. a question to that reality TV one. Yeah, sure. New Jersey is stereotypically uh-huh. basically little India. Really? How come there isn't an Indian American real housewife? You hear my surprise, because on that show, you would never even know. Right? Yeah. You th- you would yeah. think it's like 100% Italian, but really, Edison, New yeah. Jersey is one of the biggest hubs of Indian Americans. Wow. Okay, granted, there's five of them. We won't talk about those. <laughs> However, it is one of the major hubs. Sure. I mean, that entire New York, New Jersey area has 18 temples and like all of yeah. these other things. And it's a wow. huge south asian area and there is no south asian representation on quote-unquote reality tv so how real is it right and i never would have known if you didn't just tell me yeah i mean i so a large portion of my family is from exactly where these fools table flipping fools are from and we've never seen behavior like that so when i first saw this on tv i was like where are these people from Wait, what? They're neighbors? Right. No. Uh, no. <laughs> right. So that was my experience as a woman of color watching this representation. Like, uh, no, 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 no. I have family members there. This does not represent them. Right. This isn't, yeah. this isn't your reality, for sure. And it, it's interesting that you, you know, brought up all of that because that was when I was, you know, that was one of the first really in-my-face experiences of, oh, okay, so we're just going to per- portray things in whatever makes it the most controversial without really even caring for how it's being perceived or, like, how right. it affects other people. Got it. Got it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, to me relates to what you said about your friend who does have a following, who has a breakup. I'd love to talk to her. Yeah, I'm sure she would love it too. Just about that experience, you know, as a psychologist who studied group dynamics and, you know, group behavior and all of that, I've always been fascinated with that. But I want to get back to what you are up to in the future. So you have, you have the co-podcasting, which is called queer for it queer for it yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know why i was thinking like qu- queer for fit and i'm like wait no that's not right yeah so i'm here for it for for queer for it i have a lot of questions yeah. i actually want to tune into that yeah. show so for all of our listeners and for me personally where can we find queer for it uh, queer for it can be found on our website, which is queerforit.com, and then we're also on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Android, and I think that's everything. And then the Tea with Brie uh, is the Tea with Brie Podcast.com, and it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> um, I start recording at the end of the month, um, but both websites will have links to our Instagram and our Facebooks as well. Awesome. And that comes out in January, you said, right? Tentatively January. Yeah, I'm going to start recording in October and I'm going to think save them 
until January just so I have like some backup ones ready to roll. So yeah. Okay. Well, if you need editing help, you know somebody now who's like obsessed I with that. Do, which is so helpful to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris, boy Chris does all the editing for Queer for it. So I'm sure oh. he would love it. Yes. <laughs> I need to talk to him too then so I can yeah. learn more about editing. Yeah. Where do you th- see your future in terms of your community organization, your fundraising? Which the reason I'm asking all of this is I feel like you are the kind of role model that young people of color need to hear about and need to see in that you you absolutely refuse to fit into a box. Yeah. And that is... I I mean... Our whole conversation, like... This is one of the most refreshing conversations I've had. And I, like, don't even want to stop. I have so many questions. (laughs) Well, I'll come come back. I mean, we could also just, like, talk on the phone and catch up whenever you want, but... Yeah, I, I would I would love that. I, I mean, that's kind of why I decided to work where I work now. It's just, we've out, I work at Out Youth, which serves LGBT youth, and we've been around since 1990, so the year I was born, which my boss always hates when I say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but in, like, the last year and a half that I've been there, it's been really just, like, being the face of our organization and not only like representing them when at work, but then when not at work, just because I do so much stuff here, but Out Youth is a really big company here, like very well known. Um, so like being able to like really take that work into the community and let people know like, hey, you can like give back, like empowering people who support us to feel empowered. Like people now like throw fundraisers on our behalf and donate the money to us or like they come to more events now because they're like, they feel more invited. So like, it was just really, I had an opportunity in this fundraising experience. I was a first development person at Out Youth. So I've been like able to kind of make my own rules within regulation here and there. Um, but yeah, just giving a lot of freedom of like my boss really trusting me and, you know, interacting with our donors and building rapport that way. I think the biggest thing with fundraising for me has been not just asking for money. It's literally about relationship. Um, so just being, like, really honest and open and be like, hey, yeah, I can meet for a coffee. Or, yeah, let's, like, take a walk and talk about things. Like, really meeting our donors where they are or coming to their office and being really flexible. And, like, showing that I take the time to really get to know them and not just be like, hey, sign over a check to me and I'll talk to you next year when I need another donation. Like, for me, that's really icky. I want them to know that I, like, value them as a person, not as a checkbook. So, yeah, that's been... It's been my real secret with fundraising, and like I said, we had one of our most successful, if not the most successful, financial year last year when I started. Don't want to say there's a correlation, but here we are. So I mean, listen, <laughs> how about we call a spade a spade? Thank just, you. Just once. <laughs> yeah. and, and that is actually what, because we didn't get a chance to interact too much at the NLC convention. Because- no. There was so much. There was so much to do. And especially for someone with, like, two TBIs, it was just so overstimulating. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, I don't know what's coming out of my mouth right now. Let's yeah. just hope it's something good. Yeah. No, your TED Talk was great, so please, like, yes, no, you were fantastic, and I'm glad we were able to connect afterwards and do this. Like, I've loved this. So, yeah. Of course. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was everything, everything about this podcast was inspired by those three days. Oh, I love that. All of it, you know, because I literally walked away from there going, oh my gosh, I don't want this to end. I don't want this connection to end because this connection gives me so much energy. So how do I keep it going? I'm just going to interview people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as we wrap up, this is a question I ask every single one of my speakers. If there is one and only one takeaway message that our listeners could have from you, you today, what would that be? So I knew this question was coming and it's so great that you asked this. Um, so I've been on this like journey of like being healthier, being and that's physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, but then like trying to do this in such a social media age of like people being like, you have to like take a photo for it to like exist quote unquote. So with me, like I created this mantra about six, seven years ago now. Oh my goodness. That's insane. It's the mantra of we change to improve, not to impress. And that's been like my biggest thing for seven years of like, I am not doing this for anyone but myself. If someone else sees it and is inspired by it, great. But I need to focus on me and the things I can control. So what I know is I can change to improve myself. And the only person I need to impress is me. And so, yeah, we change to improve, not to impress. is just such a grounding technique for me. So, yeah. I'm going to turn that into a meme to counter <laughs> your entire social media stuff. <laughs> Perfect. No, it uh, that actually, like, all jokes aside, that resonates with me so much. I'm so glad you said all of that. I just can't stop talking to you. (laughs) Well, we can always have more conversations. This has been so great. I'm so happy that we were able to connect. And, yeah, we could could do deep dives about anything. I'm totally into that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I just need some time because I'm totally fangirling right now. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Brianna Jenkins, for being on this amazing conversation. I know we're gonna, you're going to be a repeat guest. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in on this conversation. We will be back soon with another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful night. <laughs>